The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to Squawbox with Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. The Deutsche Bank CEO Christian Saving warns economic conditions are tenuous, telling CNBC exclusively that spiraling inflation combined with energy uncertainty could set the tone for a downturn. We shouldn't rely only on models in, in this regard because it's, it's a perfect storm as we have three, four real levers who call and which can cause actually at the end of the day uh, a recession. Asian equities jumping with the Nikkei rebounding from a three-month low, whilst U.S. futures also point to solid gains as Wall Street returns from a long weekend. President Biden considers a temporary pause in the federal gasoline tax to ease the burden of higher prices on Americans as he plays down the possibility of recession, calling it not inevitable. French President Emmanuel Macron reportedly turns to coalition building with high-stakes talks today as his Prime Minister faces calls to step down in the wake of the parliamentary election result. Right, very good to see you all this morning. The Deutsche Bank CEO Christian Saving says the likelihood of Europe heading for a recession is high. Now, speaking to our very own Annette in an exclusive interview, Saving said he was worried about the impact of the war in Ukraine and, of course, the effects of the pandemic, as well as high inflation, calling it, quote, the biggest poison for the economy. Why don't you take a listen? One thing is clear, if there is a sudden stop of uh, uh, Russian gas, um, the likelihood of a recession coming sooner um, is obviously far higher. There is no doubt. Um, but I would say that overall we have such a challenging situation that uh, the probability of a recession also in Germany or in Europe in 2023 or the year after um, is higher than we have seen it in any of the previous years. And that is not only the impact of this awful war, but look at the inflation. Uh, look what that means for the monetary policy. We are not talking COVID anymore. Um, the first three questions, rightly so, are on gas. We are not talking COVID. If you think about all the restrictions, what kind of impact that has on the supply chains. That is such a challenging situation that we have three, four drivers which can severely impact the economy. And all that coming together kind of in, in one and the same time means that uh, there is enough pressure and a lot of pressure on the economy and hence the likelihood of a recession coming into Europe but also in the US is quite high. Um, you have been talking, I mean, it's kind of a perfect storm to the economy. So what are the biggest challenges in your view or can you, is there something which is more predominant as a concern or is it all like equally weighted? Well, it's, it's hard to say. I'm always saying to uh, my people in the bank uh, that we shouldn't only rely on models. Uh, these days, really, really ask for individual and good risk management on the sector, on individual names, uh, on individual products. So we shouldn't rely only on models in, in this regard because it's, it's a perfect storm as we have three, four real levers who call and which can cause actually at the end of the day uh, a recession. 
I would say that uh, the inflation is something which really worries me most and therefore I do think that the signal which we got from the central banks, be it the Fed but now also the ECB, is the right signal. We need to fight inflation because at the end of the day inflation is the biggest poison for the economy. That needs to be fought and therefore my focus is in particular on that. We've just seen producer prices again at a record high for Germany, more than 33%. So what does it mean for businesses and their planning and how is it affecting like our economy? Well, long term, it will have a negative impact. Um, I, uh, again, you can see right now that there is a, a, a high degree of resiliency in the corporates, uh, also in Germany. If you talk to the individual corporate names, actually the order books look quite healthy. Um, revenues numbers in Q1, I also expect in Q2, are actually quite solid. But we should not forget that this is also partially because of the kind of still the demand from the COVID, uh, uh, from the COVID uh, time. And therefore, I do believe that actually the outlook for the economy is getting weaker um, over the next couple of months and also over the next, uh, over the next year. The good thing is that Germany is very diversified um, from its industry. I also have to say, now being 33 years in banking, if I look at the balance sheets of German corporates, but also European corporates, if I look at their liquidity, if I look at their capital, if I look at their resiliency and innovation, we have the capacity to go through that. And a recession in itself is not something which is a, a kind of a completely bad thing but it requires that we go in there with resiliency and that we are also flexible enough to adjust. If we can do this, then uh, I, I actually think that we um, also have opportunities thereafter. You have been mentioning the monetary policy aspect that we have been living on cheap money for quite a while. Now things are changing and the markets are really spooked. Um, so would you say that the ECB is actually f sacrificing growth for getting inflation under control or is that, or are they behind the curve? Are they ahead of the curve? What's your, your interpretation? Look, um, I think we cannot have everything. And, and I do believe it is right that we do and try to do everything in order to reduce the inflation. An inflation of 7, 8 or 9%, what we are seeing right now, is too high. It has a huge social impact. We shouldn't forget that. We are only talking about the immediate impact on the corporates. But I think we need to look after the society. And uh, um, we, we clearly um, will see that impact over time. And therefore, I think the key task of the ECB, and um, that's what I understand what they are doing, is now really to fight inflation. Therefore, I think all the announcements done were the right ones. Now, we can always talk about speed. We can always talk that um, we banks wished for that a bit earlier. But now we all have to support that. Uh, and therefore, I do believe that uh, um, the announcements regarding the interest rate increases from July on are the right ones. Um, I do believe we have to make sure that we rather increase a bit more at the start than being too late. Um, I think that actually helps the economy more um, than being kind of too slow in this regard. But I'm sure um, that the ECB will find its right way. But at the same time, the discussion about the fragmentation risk has already started. It was quite fast after the ECB had its meeting in Amsterdam. So would you say that there is a fragmentation risk or are the markets put a bit over-alarmed? Look, I think we are in a situation, what I tried to explain before. We have a war, we have inflation, we have supply chains. 
We haven't discussed uh, a food crisis, um, uh, which is kind of uh, next to our doorstep. All this obviously is spooking markets. Um, the markets are pricing in, to a certain extent, a recession. Um, then we had the right announcement of the ECB to increase interest rates. Well, Christian, saving there. But uh, the Deutsche Bank position, don't forget, is one of the stronger ones in the market, that you will see a recession. They've been calling for this since April, that effectively that it's been on the horizon. Others, Morgan Stanley, we heard from Gorman the other week, saying 50-50. And, of course, if you think about uh, other banks, Bank of America, think that uh, we will avoid a recession altogether. And you put that all together, it means there are very mixed views out there in the marketplace, which means very mixed planning for the type of scenario we could be facing, which is somewhat alarming because if we are going into a downturn, it means a number of the major banks are not positioned for a recession. Look, I thought it was fascinating. And, and let, let's take a step back. Deutsche Bank is a bank that's had its own structural problems, continues to have its own issues, is very lowly rated by the market as well. I mean, it's had a, a strong, strong rally off its lows of the last couple of years. But the truth is, on a price-to-book basis going forward, Deutsche Bank is still only valued at 0.31. So Deutsche Bank, under her saving and previous CEOs, has really gone through uh, the mire on this one as well. But but I, I thought he was trying to sound optimistic, whilst that, as you quite rightly say, saying at the time, yes, I, I think there's a high chance of a recession, but good things can potentially come of it thereafter as well. I thought he'd be talking about 7 to 9% inflation being way too high. Absolutely right, but saying that the uh, ECB is now doing the right thing. Well, did he really believe that? Because I think also there was a nuance in there saying, well, we would like as bankers uh, for them not to go too slowly on this one as well. And let us just take a step back. The ECB has done nothing yet on interest rates. It's done nothing. It, it, it's, it, it's reducing PEP, reducing app, but now looking at reinvestment of PEP into peripheral bonds as well. So Annette's asking all the right questions and a very interesting answers from hair saving. But the fact of the matter is, we're talking about saving the peripheral before we've even done anything on interest rates, which is an extraordinary situation. We're looking at protecting the, 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 the countries that have done very little about their indebtedness. In fact, the indebtedness has got worse over the last couple of years. We're looking at protecting them before we've even done anything because the market has raised its questions with that 4.1% plus yield on the Italian. Mm. So I, I think that we must take a step back and say the ECB still has negative 0.5% rates when we have inflation, by hair savings own words, yeah. of 7 to 9%. I, I think the situation can, is a lot graver pick, than, than even he was saying. I want to pick up on that point around safety nets, cushions, mattresses, whatever, this uh, real cushion that a lot of uh, investors have had and a lot of companies have had for many, many years in the form of very cheap credit. And it does beg the question, do we actually need to have a recession? And I'll just explore that a little bit further because in back you know in the 80s 90s there used to be a theory that you needed to have a flush out of the system get rid of some of the excess get rid of some of the zombie companies some of the uh, strains that you're seeing in society and if you just think about what we've got currently what do we have we have a skill shortage you have people who don't want to work you've got people that are in jobs with companies that simply will not survive for the long term there was a very interesting conversation that happened on the doorstep here in london a few days back at a big technology conference that a lot of the big tech companies are hiring and holding on to workers when they just won't be companies that will be viable in the long term. And what does it do? It contributes to a skill shortage. 
Now, some of the founders are, are looking at whether they should be just tightening the screws a little bit on some of the portfolio companies and not providing the same access to credit. And it's a bit similar to a recession. You start to tighten the screws on credit, you, you take away some of that access, and then companies that are not strong enough do not survive. It frees up labor, it frees up capital for other resources. A little bit like a recession. So perhaps we don't need a full-blown recession, but we might need to micromanage the economy to bring about some of the effects where we have a more even keel system but where we're not he, fighting for labour, we're not fighting to, to push up wages for the most basic of jobs and also the high end. So there's a lot of things you're talking about there as well. You're, you're combining the inflation aspect as well, the, the skill shortage as well, and have saving was adding in other factors such as uh, the energy crisis, the Ukraine crisis coming out of pandemic as well. But the fact of the matter is, we ha has the as the institution of the ECB have a lot of these got the appetite to let certain parts of the economy fail. Uh, and I, I agree with you that liquidity has tightened on credit. It's tightened aggressively, and yet we haven't even seen any tightening from the ECB. We've seen it from the capital markets themselves. So I agree that there's a process happening already. But the ECB's fight against inflation hasn't actually started yet. Whereas in the United States, we are significantly down the road. In the United Kingdom, we've had five interest rate hikes in a row. So can the ECB even get to zero? Can it even get to 1% uh, as we're potentially being promised without creating a recession in Europe or adding to the recessionary impulses? And I have my big questions. I think they've got themselves in an awful dilemma. I gather the, the central banks are looking at different things. I mean, if you consider the ECB, that they want to, to uh, try and tackle the, the situation they're facing, but they think a lot of it's driven by external factors energy. If you look at the component, perhaps uh, on PPI and CPI, there's an argument to that point. When it comes to the United States, much more aggressive policy action is based on the core, the broadening out of inflation beyond just a few metrics. And so I think that's why you see more aggressive action. But this does go back to the broader point that we we're making earlier, that I think there's been such desperation by central bankers not to allow any pain pressures across economies or in particular countries. Because so there is a reluctance is to so try and tackle debt, some of the hard work. there are so many systemic problems we haven't completed the integration financially of europe as well so a huge amount of problems there as well look we're going to have second round inflation effects it's a fact did we not see what just happened in france uh, and the descent from macron's program did we not just see what we're having here in london today uh, in the uk where there are tube strikes train strikes barristers are talking about striking as well uh, refuge collecting strikes as well looking for double digit pay increases as well so we've got it in the uk we've got it in france as well to think that we're not going to get those same kind of wage pressures everywhere across europe and dare i say it globally as well it, it's just imagination it's just not going to happen um so yeah, we're not just climbing a wall of worry, are we? There are genuine fears out there about all these uh, various fear. things we have to tackle. And as you just uh, highlight uh, the backdrop, we, it brings in the geopolitics, doesn't it? And we were having this conversation in Davos with the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez. And I asked him directly whether this would have ramifications. As we talk about high energy prices because of sanctions, whether it would come back to bite European politics. And we're seeing it firsthand in, in France right now. Anyway, fascinating interview. So many points to uh, kick off from uh, in that as well. And of course, we'll be playing it throughout the show. Coming up on the show, US stock futures jump as the market looks to rebound from its worst trading week since 2020. And for more of our exclusive interview with uh, the Deutsche Bank CEO, Dr. Christian Saving, check out the Squawk Box podcast. After a very short break, Ian Harnett is waiting for us. He's worried about earnings.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Central bank news still dominating the Asian region as well. Australia today, the Reserve Bank of Australia talking about the chances of more rate hikes, more policy tightening ahead, that rates are still too low at this point. Although just dash some prospects of these jumbo sized moves, 75 basis points in lockstep with the Fed. Uh, the 50 basis point moves seems to be more of the scenario that we're facing by the end of the year. But that said, uh, the governor also just pushing back against some of the market pricing, which has rates reaching 4% by year end, which would be quite a step up uh, from the current rate today. In terms of what we've got a market reaction, it is a stronger move for Australia. As you can see, more than 1% in the green. Chinese stocks also rallying about uh, a quarter of 1% at this point. We've got uh, gains for South Korea and the Japanese stock market strong. Look at that, 600 plus points to the upside or 2.5%. That is a fairly decent bounce for the session. Keep in mind, Wall Street is out of action. So we haven't had any lead from our American cousins at this point out for June 10th yesterday but it was a choppy old volatile week again last week which saw the major averages settle lower so uh, let's see the impact as Wall Street opens up later on today. Treasury markets as we circle around to bonds we are slightly more elevated as you can see on this US 10-year Treasury yield 3.28 is where we're trading and we've also uh, lifted to the short end 3.23 so only a few basis points between the spread on the yield on, on those two trades. To the dollar the early signals, this is how we're trading morning session versus some of the major ones. A lot of reporting around whether we're, we're seeing too much weakness in the pound now versus the US dollar. 122.67 where we're trading morning session, about a tenth of a percent higher, reclaiming some territory on euro. The dollar and yen flat morning trade, 135 is a level dollar is slightly weaker versus the Chinese currency. A lot of improving sentiment around China in recent days on the back of uh, some assessments that perhaps it's been too pessimistic around the mainland market, which is now through this reopening phase. Let's take a look at the commodity picture. Again, we have seen a lot of bearish action out there, concern about the potential recession that uh, against a stockpile issue, just to what type of inventory we're looking at. Morning, we are guiding, gliding higher. 115 on Brent, that's a 1% pop uh, more on WTI, 1.8% higher, and spot gold trying to find a little bit of traction morning session. To US futures, early on, now this is how the US session is perched. Now, I mentioned uh, how weak the trading pattern was last week, the S&P falling 5.8%. So we are looking strong this morning, uh, called higher right across the board. You can see on uh, Dow Jones futures, 400 plus points to the upside. And also in the NASDAQ, crucially, where we are seeing tech stocks expecting to bounce morning session. Let's get some thoughts out there on the markets with Ian Harnett, who is co-founder and CIO at Absolute Strategy Research. Ian, welcome back to the show. Can I just ask you about these very mixed uh, comments we're getting around the potential for recession, others thinking we will avoid it, and the market just broadly skittish about the monetary policy we're facing from here? 
I, I think, Karen, you have to accept that the risk of recession is high. We went to a full recession waiting, you know, just a, a few months ago, you know, and went to a bear market stance as well. The bottom line is that every single rate cycle that you've seen since the 1970s has, has either ended in a financial crisis or a recession and often both. So, you know, our stance is that, you know, we would just sell into these rallies because the risk of that recession is increasingly high, I think. The uh, recession waiting then that you've got in the portfolio, can I just ask you about where you think we're tracking when it comes to the timeline? Because while some investors are sort of stepping back in on some of these downbeat sessions that we've got on the markets, others are making the point that we might just be early stages in terms of a sell-off, that often stock markets don't rebound and still the, until the Fed starts loosening up. We know we're nowhere near that point at this stage when it comes to the central bank strategy. Yeah. A absolutely, Karen. You know, what you saw both in 2000 to 2003 and in the GFC as well is you have these multi-stage, you know, false rallies and you just need to sell into them. You know, if you won't get equities fully rebounding until equities are fundamentally cheap on their own terms and currently they're not yet, you know, they're cheap against bonds and they definitely aren't that um, on our models now. And, you know, you need to see sentiment very weak and people actively selling. We've seen very little volume so far. But the key thing, as you say, is you have to see that capitulation by the policymakers. It has to be bad enough that they start to panic as well. Uh, morning, Ian. But the policymakers in certain echelons, uh, i.e. the ECB, haven't actually done anything yet. They've made mood music about raising rates, but we're still negative. And as Herr Saving was saying to Aneta, we've got 7 to 9% inflation here in Europe and we haven't actually moved a jot on interest rates yet. Uh, will they ever be able to raise rates? Well, Steve, we have a saying at Absolute Strategy that you get the monetary policy you deserve. And you're absolutely right. The exogenous bit, the policy rate haven't really moved very much, but the bond markets have done a lot of work. Remember, bunts were at minus 0.7 on those 10-year bunts. What are they now? 1.7%. There's been a big move on you know, in the in the market-driven elements, and that's what's going to bring these economies back to, to, to ground. You know, our outlook for the eurozone is one where you do get a recession coming through. We're talking about earnings growth potentially of being minus 20% in the next 12 months, and I think that's where the shoe is still fought to drop. You know, for the for, for the global economy as well, because earnings expectations are running at nine percent. And, you know, our forecasts are for something like minus 10, minus 15 for global uh, global earnings this year. And I'm worried that we're turning into a pessimistic echo chamber and we haven't even had a glass of red wine to get us properly in that negative mood. So let's just let's just see. But 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 there is another point which is negative, And you and I uh, and Karen have talked about this over the years, and that's the leverage as well. If we get an earnings recession, yeah. plus we get valuations still too high as well. Plus, you've got institutions which across the board have got more corporate debt pretty much as a percentage of GDP than they've ever had as well. What about the leverage side of things as well? Is that going to add even more pressure? So I think the leverage is, is very dangerous. Um, as you've highlighted, Steve, it's not just you know, the fact that, it's, it, that there's leverage, but this time it's actually credit rather than bank leverage. It's also dollar-denominated debt. So that strength of the dollar plays a crucial role here. The final element that makes me very concerned that we will have a financial crisis at the end of this rate cycle or will trigger the end of the rate cycle is that we've got a lot of non 
bank financial new entrants into these markets. You know, their business models are untested, their funding models are untested, and their default models, which are basically are now probably based on AI, are also potentially untested for this kind of economic cycle. So the potential here to see, you know, problems in the mortgage market, in the payday lenders market, and of course, the crypto market that we're already seeing, is very high indeed. So, you know, both in EM and in DM, I think you've got some debt worries there and financial um, fin financial stress problems that we're going to see come through in the next 12 months. Ian, we were just debating uh, whether this is uh, an economic scenario where a recession would be necessary and perhaps even useful to flush out some of the excess we've had with ultra cheap credit for many, many years now. We've got uh, pains, abnormalities in the labour market where we've got many people resigning, others that are in the labour force changing jobs and we've seen wages just being elevated at this point in companies that simply shouldn't be in business, in business for many, many years, potentially here as well, taking up resources from capital to labour. What do you think? Would a, a recessionary type of a backdrop actually make sense at this point to improve the system? Well, you never want to see a recession, but you know, if you've got to get inflation down, central banks are going to have to engineer excess capacity. That means unemployment has to go up, demand has to come down relative to that supply. The country that's got the biggest problem there in many ways is the United Kingdom, where labour shortages are as high as they were in 1973, courtesy of Brexit um, plus the, the pandemic environment. So you know, the risk of stagflation is probably greater in the UK. Um, and yes, I think we will be seeing unemployment rates going up. I did something stupid over the weekend, Ian. I went into the chat forums of the crypto advocates who were seeing extreme volatility in their Bitcoin and other things. It's a strange place mentally is all I can say. And people perhaps need to just think about their positions and their rest of their life as two separate things. But what do we think about it? You've already alluded to the leverage in this arena as well. Is crypto a metaphor for anything other than greed? Uh, it, it's a, it's, I think it's a metaphor for liquidity, Steve. Um, you know, what we've seen is that, that in a world where liquidity is plentiful, you know, the bitcoins of this world do well, you know, when that liquidity is taken away, and that's what the central banks are doing at the moment, you know, then you see those markets come under extreme pressure. You know, we always make the point that bubbles and, you know, we define those as anything that goes exponential on a log scale, which, you know, Bitcoin did and other cryptocurrencies did, you know, they tend to lose 80% of their value. You know, that would take you back actually to about 13,000, which is one of the key support areas for, for Bitcoin. So, you know, we would still be selling, um, you know, these kind of cryptocurrencies into this environment. And, you know, it really is a, a liquidity play. What we found is that it's neither a currency nor a commodity and certainly not a store of value. Good man. Lovely to speak to you as ever. Thanks for joining us, Ian. We'll see you again soon. Uh, Ian Harnett, who is co-founder and he's also on Twitter now, Karen tells me. So uh, we should so. want to follow Ian on Twitter. He's always got some interesting things to say. Uh, Ian Harnett is co-founder and CIO of Absolute Strategy Research. You found him? We better move on. <laughs> we'll find him again later. Right, okay, uh, the J Japanese Prime Minister is saying some very interesting things today, including uh, backing the Bank of Japan's decision to stick to its ultra-loose monetary policy. Speaking at a leader's debate, Kishida Sun said now was not the time to tighten. Was not the time to tighten, adding that low rates were still key to spurring small businesses and housing mortgages. 
Japan's monetary policy position stands in pretty sharp contrast to its Western peers, where central banks have put an end to years of loose policy to address spiraling inflation. And Karen, what did he say was shocking? What else did he talk about that was shocking in his statement? You, you won't know the answer because it's completely <laughs> spiritual. So I'll just tell you. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question. Uh, Japan's Kishida said that childbirths hitting record low of 810,000 in 2021 was shocking. Record low. Now, as you know, I've been banging on for a long, long time about the demographic time bomb in Japan, which we have a demographic time bomb in China, in the United States, and in many other countries as well, including Europe as well. But the demographic time bomb for a country that has debts of 240% to GDP will be very interesting as and when the elderly start pulling down their postal savings and there aren't enough young people to look after us. Well, what, there are two answers to the ageing population. One is to have more babies and the other is uh, immigration. And, uh, and <laughs> clearly I think with they're COVID, definitely trying the former. I'm not sure difficult. how they feel about the latter, but I need a Japan expert such as Jeff on that one or one of our other guests. Um, right, OK, the European Central Bank President, Christine Lagarde, guess what she's done? She's defended the ECB's move to tackle bond market fears, vowing to prevent fragmentation between members of the bloc. Bear in mind, we haven't had a rate rise yet and we've still got fragmentation. That's what the market's decided. She said anyone doubting the ECB was making a big mistake and that it was critical to preempt surging borrowing costs in more vulnerable nations. But is it critical to stop surging debt in those vulnerable nations, Madame Lagarde? I don't know. OK. Uh, Lagarde also said the central bank would need to be nimble in its approach. We need to be absolutely certain that our monetary policy stance is actually uh, driven to all countries of the euro area. So if there is a risk that monetary policy is not properly transmitted throughout the euro area, we need to apply flexibility, as we have indicated, and we need to deploy it as required. And that's what I mean by the anti-fragmentation tools and the flexibility that we apply to it. French President Emmanuel Macron has invited all political parties that are able to form a coalition for talks today, according to Reuters. This after Macron's centrist alliance suffered a blow in the country's legislative election, failing to secure an absolute majority. Meanwhile, the leader of the largest leftist alliance, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, pushed for the French left to form one group in opposition in the new parliament. However, the proposal could cause tensions between the individual parties, which include the Greens and the Communist Party. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.